Welcome to SOCAP Women. I'm Kate Byrne, president of SOCAP Global. Really excited to be able to have this conversation today with Nicole Sistrom around climate change, a subject that's incredibly important. SOCAP Women is a place where women leaders from all sectors and industries gather together to share their best practices, their journeys, and to provide roadmaps for all of us uh, with regards to how we can best make change in the world. Well, now that the U.S. has just elected a presidential candidate, and we can really actually say that, given that the Electoral College has been decided, with the most specific, ambitious, and comprehensive climate plan ever put forward by a national party candidate, how can the new administration make up for the lost time over the last four years? Nicole, who's the founder of Sutro Energy Group, works with investors and clean tech social entrepreneurs, and is a climate activist, believes that there are things, definite things, that President-elect Biden, and everyone for that matter, can and must do to address climate change in his first few months in office. As a member of Climate Leaders for Biden, she's laser focused on addressing the climate crisis and can discuss what's needed from investors, philanthropists, and policymakers to move the needle forward at long last, from supporting local entrepreneurial justice groups to making a first low carbon investment. And as someone who advises clean tech entrepreneurs, she's knowledgeable about the innovation that's needed from startups too. Come join us as we are learn more about the much needed investment revolution to combat the climate crisis. Nicole, hello, hello, and hello. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. I know, we're so psyched to have you here, especially with this topic, which is so incredibly important and becoming ever more, ever more, ever more important because it really touches on so many of the, the greater inequities that we'll, we'll do a little bit of a deeper dive into. Sure. Before we go into all that, what I'd love to do is I'd love to get a sense from you what your, what's been your personal path. If you could share just a little bit about where you got to today. Yeah. Um, especially given that you're sort of at this intersection of philanthropy and business and investing, I think in climate, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a hub, shall we say? Yes. All the things. So tell, 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 how'd you get there? Well, so I would say I first kind of learned about climate change in college. I, um, I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, on the shores of Lake Michigan and, you know, nature was always a part of my life, but, you know, it was really in college where I learned about the issue of climate change and how it, you know, sort of at that moment, I was really concerned about how it threatened the planets that I loved and sort of nature. And, and, and so I, uh, I started down an academic path studying climate change and all of the different ways to address it, both, you know, from a scientific perspective, but also from a policy perspective and from an economic perspective. The program I did was really wonderful in training us to, to think think through how to solve environmental problems in a way that would actually be really practical and and sustainable, right? Yeah. right? Like sustainable right. in the sense of like perpetual, right? Because you can't, right. you know, fishermen got to make a living, right? You can't tell them they can't fish or you hopefully can't tell them that they can't fish. Right, exactly. Uh, so, so basically got really trained up in trying to think about uh, environmental solutions to the climate problem from a really holistic perspective. And then, and then I just, when I left school, I was really fortunate to have a path that went from 
you know, from the charitable organization side to the for-profit organization side, but, but always focused on addressing climate change. So I really got to learn, um, you know, very firsthand the, the role that philanthropy can play in addressing climate and then the role that business plays in addressing climate. And, and then really, you know, what sits over the top of all of that is the policy environment. And, you know, I, I remember watching uh, the Waxman-Markey bill get passed, which was like the huge climate bill at the time. Yeah. Um, and what a great big deal that was and feeling like such a sense of accomplishment, but at the same time, you know, and then it went on to die, unfortunately, but at the same time, like reminding myself that there are people who had been working on that climate policy for 20 years. So I was really a newcomer to the game at that point. I think at this point, I, I've been working on it my whole career. I think I can sort of take myself out of the baby category, but um, you know, it's just climate is a really insidious problem that affects everyone around the globe and every corners of our lives. And if we're gonna solve it, it's really gonna take everybody to be involved in, in every way, the government, the business sector, you know, private sector, us as individuals, there's just, there's a lot for everyone to do and we, a lot we need everyone to do, so. Yeah, I wanna dive into a little bit more of that in a, a little bit later in the conversation. Yeah. But, so, but so in your mind though, so where do we sit right now as far as climate goes? Yeah, I think we're at a really important moment. I think climate is having, sort of reaching another uh, zenith in its cultural awareness, right? I mean, this, unfortunately, I think we've now crossed a threshold where more and more and more people are feeling the effects of climate change in their everyday lives. I mean, you, you know, Kate, I live in Northern California and everyone who lived in this state, this state was on fire this year for a whole month. And, and, you know, that is the first time that that's ever happened where, you know, most of the, the people who live in this state, there were long stretches of time when it was not safe to go outside. It did not matter where you lived. It did not matter if you were privileged, if you were poor, like everybody was affected. Um, and that's yeah. just this state. I mean, also this hurricane season broke records for the named storms and all of the people in the kind of Southeastern um, part of this country, but all around the world, you know, who are already feeling the effects of climate change. So I, you know, it's like, the, I don't know, silver lining is not the right word, but an outcome of that is now climate, you know, I think 10, 20, 30 years ago, when people were starting to talk about climate change, it was this thing that was theoretical and down the line and didn't matter and someone else will deal with it. And now it is, I think, very real. It is the, the effects are coming home to roost. And we, um, so, so that is also a moment that presents a lot of opportunity, coupled with the fact that we are now, I'm gonna say it, have a new administration in a month, hopefully, but the time we're recording this. Exactly. Um, and, and all of the possibility that represents in terms of setting the tone for what this country wants to do in the world and, and what we're gonna do with domestic policy as well. Yeah, I think we are at a really interesting time because I think to your point, I think climate has gone from beyond, you know, picking up trash <laughs> to, keep, to keep our highways clean and so far beyond, um, 
you know, ripping up soda can con connectors so that, you know, animals live and things like that. And it's, yeah. it's absolutely true because again, you know, it goes beyond also just weather because I was sharing with you live, I too live up here. And yeah. because I lived near a fire, the insurance company canceled our, our home insurance. Yeah. And yeah. so that whole financial livelihood, it just, it, it goes down there. It just goes from yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, the other thing I think that has happened is we are starting to see a lot more uh, attention paid to the financial risks of climate mm -hmm. and um, more talk, more, you know, regulation around climate disclosure, climate risk disclosure, um, a lot, many more public campaigns and a lot more pressure on not just fossil fuel companies, which I think are the sort of obvious targets. Right, low hanging but, fruit, as it were. Yeah, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like I don't know. They're fossil fuel companies. <laughs> There's only, you know, some of them are talking about wanting to to make a transition, and that's great. But but I think even you know setting them aside, there's a lot more public pressure on. Com companies in the corporate sector in general about, you know, what is the role you're going to play in this transition? And, you know, are you contributing to the problem or are you, or are you taking it into account? Are you, are you at least letting your investors understand the risks that you're facing and how you're managing them? And then, you know, to the positive side, what are you doing to contribute and, and take advantage of, of the huge economic opportunity this transition provides yeah. as well? Because there's also that side of the coin. Exactly. So talk, one, it's a good segue into how has climate investment changed? Yeah. Right. I mean, I know we talked, we talked, you know, when we were prepping and things a little bit about how historically, like all impact investing, it's been, you know, pretty, pretty white and very privileged. Yes. And so is that shifting or what are you seeing and what do you think needs to happen? Um, I think it's, it is shifting. I would say what is definitely shifting right now is the talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think though, this is a still very early in the process of how far we need to go. Um, you know, well, let me take a step back in general. I think there, the influx of interest in on the part of asset owners and asset managers in climate positive financial products is just like through the roof right now. I think, again, to speaking to what we we're talking a little bit about before, so much more pressure on corporate, on the corporate sector in general to do a better job. And at the same time, so, you know, part of the reason that that pressure is coming from is that investors are asking as well. And they, and given um, the heightened awareness around climate, there's a lot more demand for climate positive, like you know, climate safe aligned things in which to invest, funds and 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 the like. So that's really great. Uh, I mean, I think another thing that has changed over the past several decades is, you know, clean energy is I think the most obvious thing, but like that's just becomes economically viable, right? Like it doesn't need. Ouch you know, some, it's actually like the right economic choice to make. And we're seeing those investments being made, um, you know, where a utility can choose a 
clean energy project or a coal plant and they choose the clean energy project just based on solely on financial return right so there's a lot a lot of uh you know wind at our backs um in terms of designing products designed specifically to achieve climate goals or impact whatever you want to put on it in terms of then also designing products that take into account frontline communities, communities of color, you know, that, that sort of serve environmental, excuse me, serve environmental <laughs> justice needs as well. Right. Those things I think are still coming down the pike. I mean, they're, we're, we're starting to see some innovation there. I see uh, one of the organizations that I'm on the board of is Prime Coalition and, you know, that works hard on designing financial vehicles that are optimized for climate impact, but um, it's still a new, it's still very young, I think. And, and I think the other thing that needs to happen here is the investment world is a very white place. And, and I, as I said, I think the, t the talk is starting to shift around being more, building more inclusive, a more inclusive investment industry, but then also making sure that that money is going to, you know, the places we want it to go to, um, that it, does uh, lift up poor people and communities of color and, and 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 the like, but I don't think you know we still need to build the mechanisms to have that conversation of like where that money should go because a bad outcome would be white people Take, yes <laughs> showing up in a community and saying you know we all we think you should do this here's the money and the community saying well what we actually wanted was for you to do that so i i think those conversations are just beginning and i and i feel really hopeful and i um but but i still think we're we're at the we're not on the starting line but we are at the beginning for sure <laughs> yeah, i think that i told i completely hear you on that great white hope uh i can remember speaking to <laughs> a community group that was in Africa and they had had a meeting with a philanthropist who came and visited and then said, oh, I know exactly what has to happen. Yeah. And then they flew in a bunch of toilets. <laughs> this was going to be the big, this was going to be the big savior. Yeah. So a month or so goes by, six weeks go by, they come back to do a check-in to see how things are progressing and they arrive and the village uh, has got the toilets and inside the toilets are chickens. Yes, yes. <laughs> they needed to protect their food. Yes. These things are great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that whole disconnect of, uh-huh, yeah. thanks for telling us what we need and, yeah. and how to work with what we don't. So, yeah. okay, so along those lines then, yeah. there is so much and we, have so many fabulous stories like that. Yes. That's intentions. Yeah. Um, it can be kind of overwhelming. So do you have like specific like little nuggets that you would break it down into? So for instance, companies, here's some thoughts. Yeah. Here's an angle to try. Yeah. Oh, such a good question. I think, well, my message, I would say an overall message to everyone is get involved. Right. Exactly. And how, and it's easy to do. And it's not super expensive either from an investment standpoint. There's so many ways now that you can get involved. There's so many ways, just, but like just getting involved, like in terms of from the full philanthropic sector where I spent a lot of my time, you know, less than 2% of global philanthropy goes to climate. Wow. 
That's so messed up. <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a delicious pregnant pause. Right? Yes. I mean, it is a stunner. It's like, those those were our jaws that you heard hitting the that's it. So that's like, crazy. if you are, sorry, so what'd you say? That's crazy. It's insane. It's, um, it's absolutely crazy. And it's not, it hasn't changed a ton. I mean, you've probably, many of the people who will be listening to this will have seen the incredible news coverage of the, the Jeff Bezos gift, you yes. know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in climate philanthropy and a total $10 billion fund tagged to it. And, and, um, you know, similarly his, uh, ex-wife who gave, a huge chunk of money to climate groups as well recently. Like those gifts are, you know, they very dramatically expand the amount of philanthropy going to climate for sure, but they are also like nowhere near enough to meet this issue. Like just like that moves the 2% number to like 2.3% of all global philanthropy, which is still a stunningly low number. And, and I guess, so, so just from the philanthropic perspective, my message to just really break it down is like whatever philanthropy you're doing, if you are not also putting some money into climate, you are endangering the rest of your philanthropic investments. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, similarly to corporations, like just do something, do anything, get involved. I mean, like you don't, I guess the other main message here is you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There are lots of organizations out there. There are lots of, you know, places like series, like the, you know, sort of yes. leading nonprofit that or charitable organization that works directly with corporations to help on sustainability strategy yes. and implementation, like call them up. They'd be thrilled to help you. Like there are lots and lot. there's a lot of knowledge out there and a lot of roadmaps. And I think just really at a fundamental level, we just need more people to do the things, right? We need more, more people to put a little more money in or, right. exactly. <laughs> but, but, but to not, hire a consultant to do a three-year landscape study and like build an entirely new custom strategy for you. Like there's a lot you can do that is kind of on the shelf, right? Um, And then go ahead, build out your capabilities. If you're really, you know, if it's really aligned with where you're going, you know, either as a philanthropist or a corporation, like, great, do it, deepen your commitment. But just start, I guess, is the main message. Like there's no. <laughs> yeah. There's no time like the present, the hour. This is, it. this is the moment right now, right now. Well, you know, that's what I was actually um, going to say too, <clears throat> from the corporate side. I know who are some companies that you think have done a good job. I know I've, I've, I've got a few in my mind, but I'd love to hear in your mind who you think are some folks who oh. the company side that are actually you know, taking, taking the E and ESG and, and living it and doing it properly. I am, well, there, well, there are so many companies that. I think it's the G actually, now that I'm thinking about what governance piece. Yeah. I would say, you know, one of the, the companies that I'm really interested in to see how it plays out is um, Microsoft. I think mm-hmm. Microsoft has sort of been flying under the radar a little bit, but they've been really working on environmental impact 
and climate impact in particular for a very long time and have done some pretty innovative internal things. And, you know, you've seen, there's been a lot of coverage of over, there's been a lot of coverage of what they're doing, you know, in terms of their Microsoft, um, I forget what it's called, but, you know, kind of, they've, they've made a big uh, climate commitment fund yep. that they're going to, you know, so I guess, I'm impressed with how sort of comprehensive their strategy has been because I know that they do a lot internally in terms of operations and, you know, have, have experimented with things in the past to try and change employee behavior mm -hmm. around climate relevant activities, which is great. And then they also now have this investment vehicle to sort of, you know, push resources out into the into the ecosystem, into other companies and other investment funds um, to really kind of lift all of it up. And I think it's, you know, oh my gosh, another, another one that's coming to my mind is Autodesk. Yes. Autodesk, you know, great, wonderful uh, company does a lot internally, but their, you know, their philanthropy is I think really groundbreaking um, and really cutting edge in the way it's like both deeply aligned to the work of the company, but yeah. then also so, uh, and does such an excellent job at like utilizing the core competencies of the company, right? To, to enact the philanthropy, but then also the philanthropy itself is really pushing hard. And I think in a very impactful way on some really big social issues, climate being just one of them, but, um, you know, I, they're often, I'm just so, <laughs> I'm so impressed with them and, and, you know, they're really setting a good model, I think for others to follow. Yeah. I think that's the thing is uh, who are doing things that <clears throat> who are taking steps that can be replicated Yeah, and in other industries, um, two that I've been kind of paying attention to, uh, one is, one is Levi's just mm, because I think yes. they've addressed it across yes. a number, right. Of different, yeah. everything from using hemp to their, you know, yeah. the decreased of chemicals and their rinse process and that sort of thing. Yeah. And also I always pay attention to the places that employ gazillions of people. So I keep <laughs> thinking whatever I may feel about you know, Walmart or, or McDonald's, yeah. but really in this case, more, you know, Walmart, if we're able to get them to be, oh, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, the shift that that takes place. And so I had a chance to talk about with Kathleen McCarthy, um, McLaughlin, who's their yeah. chief sustainability. She's had a fascinating, you know, her efforts there and her background too, coming from the, from the investing world. Yes. And right. Being able to apply that. I think, I think there's some key and I'm just going to toot our horns, female leaders in this space yeah. that are really stepping forward and um, yes. driving significant change, which keep it up, ladies. Yes, yes. amazing. <laughs> so now what about from, from, say, the policy and political voice and choice and yeah. what, what can people do there? Oh. Tell us wise one. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think there's a lot. This is another place where I think a lot of people just haven't engaged or are afraid to engage. And, and by 
I, I mean individuals, I also mean the corporate sector as yes. well. And I think, you know, some of that's just like not being aware, right? And um, some of that's apathy. I mean, I think one of the other things that was air quotes great about this year, or I guess no, that's, I'm gonna say unqualifiedly great was all of the engagement in the political process driven by the, the presidential election, like whichever side of the aisle, you know, whoever you voted for, like highest, you know, shattering records for voter turnout. Yep. Biden was elected with the most votes of any president in history, <laughs> only to be followed closely by Trump, who nice. also got more votes, you know, <laughs> second most votes, more exactly. votes than he won with last time. Um, right. So it's just really exciting to me how many people got engaged. And I think you, you still see very high engagement in Georgia, those poor people and all the phone calls they must be getting. And all the texts, the rest of us all are All the texts, like, oh. I, my heart is with you, Georgian citizens, but you know, <laughs> you still have a really important job to do here in the next couple of weeks. So like, that's really heartening to see all of that engagement. I, and I think, you know, the presidential election is, is great for focusing minds and hearts. And I think there's so, it's so important who's in the white house and what the, the tone the administration is setting. And we can definitely, you know, dig into that. But I, I guess what I would say is the thing that I think is like the hidden secret is, is getting to know your state and local representatives and who they are. Like those people are making choices that really do affect your life and they affect your life very immediately. Like it is not, it is not at all theoretical. And I, I barely even know who my state representatives are. There's a lovely website we can use here in California to tell who will tell you who your like state representative and state Senator are. And I think, so I'd say the first, my first piece of advice there for everyone is just figure out who those people are. Mm-hmm email those offices and ask them what their climate stances are. If you, if, you know, if climate is the thing, I mean, you can do it on any issue, but find that out, find out who your local, you know, mayor is or kind of council, you know, city council person is like whether you're a person or importantly, I think a corporation in these places, like Mm -hmm. the, the corporate voice for better or worse in the political arena is really matters, really matters a lot, especially on climate. And especially um, because if we're gonna pass anything, any sort of climate legislation or regulation, you know, in some states regulators are elected, you know, for certain things. And we, the, I would say another outcome of this election is that we did not, while Biden won, yeah. if you look down at the state house level, a lot of state houses basically stayed Republican or maybe went more Republican. So, you know, when we traditionally think about who cares about climate, like obviously the Democratic Party is typically more aligned to climate goals, or at least in the public consciousness than Republicans are. Mm -hmm. If we're going to make any progress on on a political, you know, from a policy standpoint, we really are, do need this to be a bipartisan um, effort. Effort and the corporate voice in that discussion. You know, you know, if you're a large employer in a district, you know, going to the state house and saying, you know, we want you to do these climate friendly policies. Like it, it is important that we have clean transportation and like, 
you will not drive our business out of this state with this renewable, you know, mandate that you're trying to pass. Like that is, is so important. And I think climate advocates, the people who are in, you know, have, are professionally like trying to help these policies get designed and passed. They are desperate, desperate for corporate actors to show up and, you know, raise their hand and say, you know, we want these policies to pass. And, and that is the kind of, it will be really key to providing cover for, you know, Republicans or hell, even moderate Democrats right. to vote for these kinds of policies. Um, because it's really, even if Georgia, you know, elects two Democratic senators, there's still a whole bunch of Democratic senators who are coming out of red states who are moderate like they can't vote for right. you know, some crazy, totally out there scheme. Like it, it will, we will end up in a better place with, again, to go back to the theme at the beginning of our talk here, a more sustainable perpetual right. solution. If we can all work together to, to kind of come to that compromise, you know, yeah, that collective true North Yes, is, is kind of what I look at it. So, how can we help? So key to this and all of this, right, are the social entrepreneurs who are rolling their sleeves up, going in, doing, you know, going where no other will go. And yeah. now more than ever, they really need support and in, in a number of different ways, right? The diff many different forms of uh, capital lighting up. Yes. Social political, right, um, tools and such. Yeah. Um, how can we make sure, like, how can we support those clean tech folk? Yeah. Oof, that's such a good question. I think. And how do we teach them? Like, how can we, obviously key is, is money. So yeah. we talked earlier about the investors and we know there are investors that are gradually starting to think, okay, I've got to do this because my next generation wealth folks are tugging at me saying, yeah. get in there. Yeah. So is there a way we can, is there a way to train them? And, and I don't mean train, um, help them get even better at making their ask. Yes. Well, I think in general, I think it's important for early stage companies, many in the clean tech space who are being founded by, you know, people coming out of postdocs, like really incredible brains brains incredibly incredible technical training but people who did not come up in a sort of entrepreneur mindset right um they don't they're really excellent at digging into i'm making large generalizations right now really excellent at digging into the technical details of of their technology and like what is achievable and and they've been trained, they've come out of these scientific institutions who have trained them to publish scientific papers. Mm -hmm. It is often a huge culture shock to then be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta talk to someone about money, gross. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and like, do I really need this? And like, oh, I, I you know, one of one of the entrepreneurs I've I worked with, you know, he he's given his pitch, and the pitch was fine. And then at the end he goes, and I'm raising a million dollars. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what did you say? It's like, oh, we're raising a million dollars. I'm like, you're gonna say that with a smile on your face. Like you got like you want it. Um, so I, I think 
I think what we need to do is provide, um, and there are, and there are these resources already exist. Provide resources for these entrepreneurs to understand how to translate their incredible technical chops and the incredible, almost in many cases like magical results or products they're able to to develop. To turn that into like just the cold hard economic facts. What is your business plan? What who you know? What is it going to cost? What are you going to, what is the thing you're making? How much can you sell it for? You know, you got to be able to make the economic case. And then, and then the, the other thing, which I think is really exciting is, you know, there are investors who are kind of mainstream investors. And there is, I think, an emerging class of investors now who are increasingly focused on impact and not in a squishy way, right? Not in a, right. <clears throat> excuse me, not in a, Oh, to, to the birds, will there be more birds at the end of this, right? Like right. there's increasing rigor around um, projecting and managing and measuring climate impact. And so there are investors who I think sit on the end of the spectrum who just care about the financial returns and there are investors who just care about the climate returns. And there's a, there's a lot of people in the middle who care about both. Mm-hmm. And so to the extent that you can... Um, you, the social entrepreneur, can learn to, well, really be precise about what, what it is you're trying to do and the results you're trying to achieve, both from an impact and, a, and an economic perspective, and then learn how to communicate that to your audience. You know, that's really, that's really key. You know, investors don't want to give money to you just because. Like, they're trying to achieve a goal, too. And so you need to understand what their goals are, whether it is purely economic or pure or you know impact or some combination of 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 both of both, and and be precise in how you communicate how your company and an investment in your company is going to help them achieve their goals. Like that's really that's the whole point of this process. Yeah, I will say, you know, in essence, they see the problem. The social entrepreneur sees the problem. Yeah, and they get how, but it's, it's, it's kind of, they get the what part, but it's the how and why it makes sense to do it this way. And so it would be terrific if you had both a poet and a quant as it were, yeah, sort of the positioner, the narrative sharer, along with the scientific fact finder and for the rigorous. It is, it's a different, it's a different skill set. And, you know, when the company is at that really early stage, that often has to be the same person as asked to have these very disparate skill sets. And, um, you know, the good news is there are a bunch of accelerator incubator fellowship programs here in the U S right now. I'm less familiar with overseas, but there are definitely, you know, many that exist right now in the U S which do have that programming do provide those resources, whether you're in their program or not. Um, those, those things exist for entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out what, what is, how do they need to uh, portray that information? And like, what are the right ways to talk to investors? Like those, those uh, resources are out there for people to take advantage. What are some of those, if you don't mind naming them, not saying that they're your favors, but if they come Well, again, no, another organization that I serve on the board of Activate um, is a two-year fellowship program for really early stage entrepreneurs in the hard tech arena. And, um, you know, you can either get into the program and, and join the cohort. And then there's obviously a heck of a lot of really hands-on support, um, but there is, there are activate has um, is putting together 
and has already published many pieces of this resource. Um, but you know, public resources, you know, talks and templates and things right. on their website for people to use who who you know can't move to Berkeley or Boston where the program is like. There are so that's that's a really great place um, in the Midwest. Clean Energy Trust is another one that I that I love. There's but there's there's some in all corners of the country. So, right. So so let's dig a little deeper into the measurement piece because mm-hmm. I, I mean that's huge all over the place, right? Everyone's trying to figure out how do we measure. And so, for instance, I know uh, George Seraphim and and Ronnie Cohen are are busy over at Harvard working on impact weighted accounts. Yep. Uh, demonstrating, okay, you know, how the, the impact of your, the governance of how you run your company and how you treat your people and what products you make and yeah. what that does to everybody. Yeah. Um, are there, I mean, what are the areas that you think we need to really start looking at in terms of the performance outcomes? Performance outcomes. Yeah. Right. And then how do we, how do we communicate those? Well, so I think, Again, I think I'll, I'll speak from the perspective of like early stage companies since mm-hmm. that's where I spend most of my time. Um, with early stage companies, everything is sort of potential and promise, right? Like you're, you come in as an investor and it's like, you know, there's maybe 10 people, maybe. And yeah, like, you know, certainly from a, an impact perspective, like none of the impact has been a achieved right like the company is still very small you know the idea is that they're gonna I don't know the technology they're working on is a wave gener you know it's a power generation from wave action that mm-hmm. kind of a technology and and so for it to have the impacts we want it to have like they have to develop it that'll take a couple of years and then it needs to be deployed around the planet and like the idea is that it will displace fossil fuel on the grid right right um so I think I think, uh, you know, one tool that exists right now is a tool called Crane, C-R-A-N-E, which is a tool that um, has been developed and, you know, publicly available on the web for investor, early stage investors, but also early stage companies to use as well to just model out their potential climate impact mm-hmm. in, a, in a pretty easy, somewhat standardized way. Um, and, and I think the benefit of that tool, it's kind of like a pre-measurement, it's a management tool in the sense that you can, you gain a lot of insight about what has to be true for you to achieve the climate impact you want to achieve, right? right. Like, right. you know, if you're, you know, if you're going to, hydrogen is a classic example, right? Like, everyone hydrogen is now having a moment in early stage clean technology is like we got to develop hydrogen because it can directly you know replace fossil fuels we don't have to like re-engineer our systems we can just kind of drop hydrogen in as sort of the replacement the dream right um or at least drop it in an in an easier way than sort of re-engineering things um but if you are making hydrogen with a fossil with it takes a lot of energy to make hydrogen and if you're making it in the very conventional way with the fossil fuel grid. Well, guess what? That's more fossil fuels that are burned and more um, emissions that are generated. So what that kind of a, so it's kind of the crane tool. I think one of the benefits of it is understanding like, okay, well, in order for this hydrogen 
business to have a positive impact on the environment, like we have to be generating it using a clean grid or, you know, like in some way, or the mix needs to be like this. And, and so that's, I mean, that's one example, but there's all, all kinds of, of companies, which, you know, could have a greater or lesser impact depending on management choices that are made along the way. And then also just, there's also benefit, I think, to understanding, you know, many of these technologies that I work with that I'm talking about, they're really not going to be ready to be deployed for a decade. Mm -hmm. It's early, early days. It's still really early days. And, and there are some things which are not true now about the world, which might be true in a decade. And so like understanding that sort of time lag. And the externalities around it. And the externalities around it, you know, the hope is that this, this crane tool can be, you know, an easy way for people to, to get information like that. But there really does need to be a, an industry-wide standard about how to think about and um, potential emissions reductions, you know, what can be achieved in the future and then as something to benchmark against as the company then matures and, you know, products are deployed and, and you know, you learn new information about the world and like, you know, you can make better management decisions along the way. But, in, you know, in terms of like measuring, measuring climate impact, I think we have fairly good ways to measure, you know, direct climate impact, I think. Um, it's, it's a big beast to think about upstream, you know, downstream, right. The kind of scope three stuff, right. Which, you know, it's important. I, 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 the thing I want to say about measurement though, is that again, (laughs) this is a really urgent issue. And what I would hate to have happen is that we like wait five years to figure out the perfect system before anyone does anything like climate is happening now and this is a really consequential decade and and while we need to sort of we're we're building the plane while we're flying it here we really have to do that because we can't right you know we need to be we need to be moving we, we all know where we need to go like that's not a mystery right like and so we just start, we just start walking in that direction. And then we build the tools that will make us go faster and better along the way. But we can't, you know, use the fact that like, well, this is sort of hard to measure as a reason to not do it. If, right. It's exactly. like the preponderance of evidence is such that like, this is what we need to do, right? right. And I think something probably is better than nothing. And getting sort of an agreed upon also, I think, range of good, bad, ugly yeah. for now, Knowing yeah. what we know and realizing that this is, it's a live organism yeah. and it is dynamic. And so yeah. we have to remain flexible and keep, keep, as you just said, once we get smarter, apply that immediately. Yeah. Just, it's just like a ratchet. You just like tighten it down, right? Like Exactly. That's a perfect visual. That's what I keep yeah. saying. That turning of the wheel, turning of the wheel, turning of the wheel. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Is there anything that we can learn um, from, you know, that the EU has begun to do just in terms of making ESG's policies that they're doing there and making investors um, have to follow them and apply them to their portfolios and such? Um, I think what the EU is doing is fascinating. I, you know, my, I'm less of an expert there. I mean, I'm really excited to learn about how it goes. And, and I think, you know, that they're, you know, they're being leaders in this regard and, and 
you know, there's achieving the climate impact. And then there's the other piece that I'm hoping we can learn about is like how to actually implement these things. Like, does, like what is the process and system by which we like implement it and so that the rest of us can learn, um, you know, the regulatory, the financial system in the US, I think is, uh, you know, the Biden administration has signaled like they're really gonna start thinking hard about climate in particular um, in terms of how that affects the financial system and what the financial, you know, oversight of this administration can do to kind of bring climate into that conversation. There's a lot of potential here for us to learn from from the EU over the next couple of years, but I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, that is a lovely segue into Biden. Dun, dun, dun. Biden. The first 100 days. Yes. So what does um, the Biden-Harris election signal for the climate crisis fight in, in the first place? And, and what are some of the things, if you said, Joe, Kamala, listen up, here's what you should be doing. Yeah. What, what, what would that conversation, conversation sound like? What would that conversation, well, so I think what it signals is, I mean, this is the first time, this is the first election, presidential election, where climate concerned voters are like a really, a real block with real bodies that you can really point to and we know who they are, right? Right. Um, both in terms of, you know, the intense youth movement that I think really contributed to getting, uh, getting this administration elected, um, climate being one of their top concerns and then being very vocal about it. Yep. So there's like, you know, they actually, there's that piece. And then I think there's also, you know, climate donations piece, right? I, one of, one of the um, groups I'm a part of climate leaders for Biden is a group of political donors who have explicitly tagged their, their contributions to the Biden campaign to the progressive, you know, urgent stance that they see Biden and, you know, Kamala Harris taking on the issue. Um, and, you know, that's, again, the first time that those, that's really happened. That, and I think you're seeing that message reach, reach the administration. If we think about, I mean, one of the, the big news this week while we're recording this again is, you know, who he has, um, who they've nominated for um, interior secretary, interior secretary is Deb Holland. It's going to be the first person of native descent to run the Department of Interior. She, you know, both in terms of environmental justice chops and just like indigenous communities, like understanding that from a real visceral perspective for sure. But she's also been very explicit about climate and the Department of the Interior is, I saw a stat today which says it's a quarter percent of the US emissions can be tied to the Department of the Interior. Like, I, I hope I'm not misquoting that, but it's like, you know, if that's the case, like this, this woman is going to, you know, be in a really um, vital place, you know, vital position to address this. I mean, Janet Yellen, her climate credentials were called out. He's got, um, you know, Pete Buttigieg as transportation secretary. Climate has been a huge piece of, of, of his kind of expertise in driving. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, um, the uh you know naming 
John Kerry to be the sort of international clim climate envoy and um, Gina McCarthy, who is like <laughs> my hero, who I want to be when I grow up. Gina yeah. McCarthy to be the like internal domestic policies are with, you know, her deputy Ali Zaidi. Like these people are climate through and through, through yeah. and through whether or not they're in a position that has climate in the title or not. I think it's, you know, you asked what I think they should do. I mean, this is the one thing that I would have wished for is that everyone who's coming into this administration understands that climate is their job, whatever their right. prompt is like title is uh, climate is also their job. Um, that stuff's the really key stuff. Like in terms of all of the, specific things like and policies and priorities like there are you know scads and scads of people who will opine on that and i i think it's all all to the good i think more what i want to say is you know to america and to everyone who voted for these people or didn't vote for them but if you care about climate like you don't just sit back now like this is a moment to lean in further um and, you know, you can do that in, in so many ways. I mean, one is just like literally using your voice and <laughs> contacting your representatives and, and telling them you care about this. And um, to the extent that you're a stakeholder of a national, you know, institution like a national lab or, you know, you work with the DOE, like, you know, making your needs known and your desires known with respect to climate, that's that's really key. Um, and then uh, the other piece I would say is for those people who do have resources to give philanthropically, you know, it's a moment to really support the climate NGO community. And, and there are, there are the big names who, you know, like NRDC and EDF, Nature Conservancy, you know, that the, these big groups that have played a very strong role in, in setting the climate agenda at the federal level for a long time. Um, absolutely, you know, RMI, like, you know, you all, you all know the big green groups, they definitely um, need money. But I would also say, this is also the moment to dig deeper in the sense of give, you know, direct money to these smaller organizations, these environmental justice groups that are maybe coming from a more local community perspective um, to ensure that we actually have all of the voices at the table we need. I mean, this, this cabinet that they've appointed is like the most diverse ever. Right. Um, yeah. And that's great and wonderful, but we also need to make sure that the people who are coming to these agencies are participating in the policymaking process, providing um, feedback on regulations and priorities, that that is also an equally diverse group of people. Right. And not just, you know, the big climate groups who, again, have incredible technical expertise and very, you know, long term relationships and like deep understanding of how to do this work. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's still just, you know, there's so many other voices out there and those people need to have the capability to come to the table as well, because they have, they have a lot to offer. I, I think, honestly, I think a lot of the problem is just like, they just can't get there. They can't squat and get, get there. They have a little seat or wiggle up to the front. Right. I and so like, this is a moment when I think philanthropy can go a really long way. And, you know, 
hundred days gets a lot of um, focus as, you know, like the, this is the, this is the moment. And like when, when things are set and priorities and the die is cast for the rest of the, for the rest of the administration. And, and I would just really, really want, you know, this for social entrepreneurs too. I mean, like, you know, innovation is a huge plank of Biden's, the Biden administration's plan to address climate. And like, this is the moment for these early stage innovators who don't know, who haven't been trained, who don't know how to engage with the federal government to like get those skills. Like, let's get those, let's train those people up so that they know who to call and what to talk to them about. So that, you know, these programs get designed in a way that actually meet the needs of the people who are supposed to benefit from them. And then ultimately achieve the climate impact that we hope they will all achieve. In addition to, you know, providing the economic you know, recovery that we so needed from the coronavirus situation right now. I mean, that's the nice thing about all of this is that the climate agenda, we are way, way past the time when it was like too expensive. It is now makes so much more, it makes economic sense. And we know the climate, the economic benefits are clear. And we just, you know, we have not won as a movement. Now I would say we haven't won that communications fight. Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> like let the communications I mean, there are lots of organizations that are working on that, but like, this is, it's, you know, the fact that like anyone is now like, no, oh, this is a job killer. Like, yes, in micro situations in local communities, things, you know, are going to have to shift around, but like at the macro level, like this can be the engine that really lifts up our economy and, and, and can drive jobs to places where jobs are really needed, really needed. So we, I hate to do this because I could talk to you all day about this, but it the time has come. And thank you so much for that. I completely agree. I think it's, you know, so often those who have a seat at the table bring two others with you. Yeah. Right. One for each yeah. hand. And then while you're at it, bring one for each foot as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that we do have, and then those, all those other networks, because then that also proves and demonstrates inspiration because you see that there is a path there. So it actually yeah. is regenerative in and of itself. Yes. People just it, haven't had that experience. Like you have to have that feedback loop of like you, exactly. you use your voice and you got results that you need to get, right? Um, exactly. exactly. I think we have to like remake those connections for sure. So, all right. So in closing, as much as I hate to do it, one last thing. <laughs> what are you hopeful about? What gives you hope? Ooh, what am I hopeful about? Oh. Mm -hmm. I am, I am, I'm so hopeful about the outpouring of energy that has come into the climate arena in the past year. I mean, we have some political momentum now and we didn't even talk about at the state level, Yeah, all of the progress that's happening on climate at the state level, which is another kind of hidden story. But like, there's a lot of political momentum for the climate. There's a lot of economic momentum for the climate, you know, it, both in terms of like, this can be an engine that sort of repowers our economy, but it can also, you know, there's on the economic side, like all of the interests that we were talking about in terms of fin the financial system and disclosures around that and demand for climate products. And then, and then I think there's also so much, so many people 
so so many people have arrived at this arena, you know, in, in any sort of way that it that it matters to them, whether it's, you know, someone who's an activist marching in the streets or, yeah. um, you know, a philanthropist who's new to the table or um, someone who's thinking about, gosh, how do I how do I invest in renewable energy for the first time? Or like, why do I you know, why don't I support this company? Or um, I, I just think there's a lot of what makes me hopeful is all of the momentum from kind of all angles coming into climate right now, which is so wonderful because as I said, we need all of it. No, you know, no person or corporation or, you know, sector is going to handle this on their own. Um, it really is going to take everyone. And I'm feeling like we're seeing the signs that many, many more people and places and types of institutions are starting to take this issue on, which is um, just really, really heartening because we need it. Now's the moment. This is the decade. Do not wait. Get going. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm energized for the weekend. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I just got, my tank is filled. Um, but I, I feel so I feel so great after finishing a conversation with you, Kate. Uh, no, thank you. Same, same. Um, and I just want to thank everyone. Seriously, it it is so easy for us. It will be easier for us to make these different changes, but they can be baby changes. It doesn't have to be huge. Yes. Really, that does make so much difference. Yes, because yeah. we are all connected. It is that whole mycelium web. Yes. So do your part, please, 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 on every front. Think about, you know, think about where you're working. So vote with your feet, vote with your wallet, what you're, what you're buying and what you're consuming, yeah. um, what you're wearing, yeah. and then also what you're driving. Yeah. And then, um, and with your portfolio and with your philanthropy, who yeah. are you going to? And then with your actual vote. Your actual exactly. Vote. Your exactly. literal vote. Exactly. Your literal vote and vote period. Keep voting. Yes. 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 Voice. So with that, thank you. Thank you. So appreciative of your time and everything that you're doing. And um, I look forward to having a follow-up conversation in a year <laughs> and let's see how the needle has moved. Yes. Yes. Let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. And listen to all listeners. Thank you so much. We know you always have a choice of how to spend your time. So incredibly appreciative that you spend it today. So be well, stay healthy. And thanks again.